Welcome everyone to episode 72 of the 25 Live. My name is Jim Bernica. I've got two special guests for you today. I've got Sagel and Vincent Belland. So uh, Vincent is a firefighter in the largest department in Canada and Sagel is a clinician. And this episode really centers around uh, Vincent having a pretty pretty screwed up call that he actually talked about on this episode uh, at work and bringing that home and affecting uh, the home life and really how they got through that came out on the other side and now make it their mission to try to prevent that from happening with uh, other fire families. So without further ado, let's bring in Sagel and Vincent Bellin. All right, everyone, welcome to the show. I've got Vincent and Sagel Bellin. How are you doing? Uh, I guess this afternoon. We're doing great, Jen. Thanks for having us here today. Thank you, Jen. Talk to you guys on a joining on a Sunday afternoon. So I appreciate that. Um, let's just kind of jump right into it. How did you guys end up meeting? How did the romance start, if you will? <laughs> I don't know if it started as a romance. Uh, it was more of a funny story. Uh, we're both martial artists and um, we were in a place in our lives where neither of us were looking for the other. Mm -hmm. um, and I happened to be at a martial arts store at the time and, you know, really sort of didn't like the dating scene. So I was very skeptical about everyone that I was meeting and, you know, and people who called themselves quote unquote martial artists, you know, they were did martial arts when they were 11. Their mom told them they were good. And they trained for two weeks and you they're, know. You know. That's how it was. So I was very skeptical. I just finished season three of Cobra Kai, so I'm ready. I understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We just finished that too the other day. Yeah, we did a marathon the other day. Holy God. We God. did. Um, yeah. But yeah, so, you know, I walked into this martial arts store and there was these two people chatting over in the corner and the, and the student, you know, referred to Vincent as sensei and I rolled my eyes and I said it a little too loud. I was like, sensei, whatever. And... Uh, he heard me and Vincent's the type of guy who will call you out on it. And I'm like, yes. He's not gonna let it pass, <laughs> right? So he called me out and, uh, you know, so I explained to him the situation. I was like, I'm sorry. I said, but I'm just very skeptical of people who call themselves senseis and- The quiz started. She started quizzing me on certain things and I, and I answered her pretty much properly. And she's like, I guess, uh, uh oh. Yeah. So I realized that at that point I had been disrespectful because he actually was a sensei. Um, yep. And so then I, I was like, oh my, hey, well, he's not a bad looking sensei either. So you want to go for coffee? <laughs> this is after he made you do 10 push-ups. <laughs> On her knuckles. <laughs> I'm still doing my push-ups. <laughs> yeah. And that was it. Just started. So. Yeah. And we just, we laughed a lot. It was a lot of laughing. Mm. Now, where you were you? Laughed to your stomach hurt. It's funny. That's good. Oh yeah, that's good though. Yeah. Where were you guys in your careers professionally? I mean, now, how young were you? Old were you? You know, what were you doing then? We were, and we were twenty-eight at the time. Yeah. I was living out in Guelph. I had a franchise. I was uh, well established uh, in the business world and uh, finished an education. And I was actually ready to kind of settle down, but I really wasn't in that mindset. Again, just because the, the dating scene was not one that um, kind of was leading me down the right path. So I was kind of okay 
with where I was at and enjoying life, you know, sports car, motorcycle. I was, I was good. I was single. I uh, just finished losing my parents. I was on my own uh, motorcycle, enjoying my life. And just around the time when I got the call to, uh, to start the career firefighter. Okay. So you yeah. were not a firefighter yet when you, when you guys were first dating. No, but he was called to the Academy within a month's time. Yeah. Okay. Just kind of happened all within that time frame. So you, you were able to get a preview of the before Vincent. Yeah. Well, just, just for a month, just for a month. And then he started at the Academy for, I think that went for about uh, 20, the program at the time was about 22 weeks, 22 weeks. Yep. So started in uh, June and no, no, July. September, July to September. -ish. Yeah. Then. Yeah. And it went, and then graduated in December and started um, with Canada's largest department mm -hmm. at that time. Very nice. Very nice. And, um, how long after that did you end up getting married and kids and all that kind of stuff? It wasn't too far off. So that would have been 2004. So he started officially um, as a probationary firefighter in early 2005. And we were engaged that summer and married in May of 2007. Nice. Very nice. Yep. And then... Um, at what point did you start noticing, you know, that uh, just the job is, you know, Vincent is taking some of the job stuff home? You was know, um, Jim, it, it wasn't until 14, uh, sorry, almost 12 years later that I realized that it actually started back then. I didn't, back then, I didn't chalk it up to the job at all. It, it, I never made that connection. It's now in hindsight, when we do the timelines against the more difficult calls and then some of the more difficult times at home mm -hmm. um, that we realized that there was a relationship. Um, otherwise I was just choking, chalking it up to, um, you know, oh, he's just angry person. Um, maybe I've done something wrong. I found myself walking on eggshells it became a running joke because for me, my sense of humor is one of my coping mechanisms and it's not always necessarily the most tasteful, but you know, my biggest thing was, Oh, I guess I'm public enemy number one today. And I'm going to, you know, keep lay low for the next 24 hours, you know, after he'd come home from a shift, because it just seemed that, like I said, it felt like I was public enemy number one for like the longest time. Mm -hmm. And the thing is with two, uh, it started off pretty quick for me, the very bad calls, right? So I just kept accumulating, accumulating. I went from, you know, being on a single pump or a truck haul, uh, pump, pumper or whatever to uh, rescue. And then we saw like everything, the gambit of everything, you know, children and all kinds of calls and just one after another. But you don't realize because, you know, the mentality is you suck it up, Nancy, move on, move on to the next call. Right. It's a machoism kind of mentality. And I don't even think he realized he was bringing it home. Like there was, again, there was no awareness on either of our parts as a young couple to have acknowledged that we just figured it was, you know, the relationship settling in. Maybe it was, you know, that we had a, uh, you know, we moved into a new house. We're trying to get to know each other, growing pains. Grow, you know, chalked it up to growing pains, but they yeah. weren't normal growing pains. Vincent, did you ever talk about any of this stuff? Any no, calls? 
No, um, I was, you know, always kept it to myself because I figured, you know what, I didn't want to bring that home. Like, uh, you know, it's kind of like my cross to bear. You know what I mean? This is the this is the job I chose, and the things I see stay with me because you know I don't want to traumatize or hurt anybody or, or give anybody that visual or that sense of imagery or memory or anything like that right it's just uh this is what we do right so you know what we go to work we do our thing we come home right if we you know just it's a tough shift bad shift whatever that was it you know it's uh pretty I, horrific things you see right and do so i hear that a lot from from yeah. many of the first responders that i work with now that they just want to keep work separate and home separate and and the lesson learned for us here is that it, it doesn't necessarily work out that way. And it's not necessarily the way it needs to be or is the best way. Uh, one of the analogies that I use um, with some of my clients is, you know, I understand you don't want to bring the shit on the bottom of your shoe inside the house. I get that. So there's nothing saying you can't remove your shoes at the door, come home and let your spouse rub your feet and comfort you and support you. You don't need to share the shit, but you can allow yourself to be supported and cared for. I love the way you said that. That's great. And for Vincent, I I feel for you. I felt the same way. I felt like yeah. I had to protect, like, you know, I can handle this. You don't need to know. You're better off not knowing yeah. what I see and what I do. For sure. Throughout the years, I've gotten much better at that. Yeah. And, I, and I think we're both blessed to have you know, you having a clinician at home, me having a nurse who kind of gets it. So you can, you know, I'd be probably like me where we realize, yeah, we can, we can open up a little bit. We can share. Yeah, but, but for those yeah. spouses out there that aren't on the front lines as well, they, what happens is when, when you keep everything to yourself without even realizing it, you're cutting a part of yourself off from your partner. And what it does then is take a toll between the connection and the intimacy that couples would otherwise have. So again, it's not necessarily about sharing the gore and the details, but it's about allowing your partner to be your partner and um, you know, maintaining that connection that you have. And you can't do that if you cut a piece of yourself off and say, you know, that, that this is separate because it you're one organism moving through two domains. And so, you know, you're, we, we love you whole is the thing to remember. And, um, you know, the, the, although you're doing it from a stance of protecting your partner and not wanting to burden them, what's happening is you're kind of leaving them on the outside or forcing them to stand on the perimeter. And then that takes a toll on any couple um, who's, who's going on this journey, mm. right? This is one of the nuances as first responder couples that we, if we could reach out to the recruits and to the family members early, then we can give them some strategies and mechanisms that they could navigate this better um, and maintain healthy strategies throughout the journey. I used to say, you don't want to, you don't want to know what's going around, going on in my head. <laughs> But I, you know I mean, but that's it. Right. So you, you have a, you have an understanding of it. It's like, uh, you go through it. It's like, Oh my God, really? 
Well, because you really want to know how my day was? Well, let me tell you. Yeah, but when you're you're ready for it, when you're sitting there in silence (laughs) and then not talking to me, I think there's something wrong with me. And I think that you don't like me anymore and don't want to be with me anymore. So we then, as spouses, get a different narrative running through our heads, hence the disconnection. And neither of us are on the right path. But then you, then here's a the flip side, right? You go to a party and it's like, you're a firefighter. Oh, what's the craziest stuff you've ever seen? Tell me this, you know, and they want to, it's like, really? Like, where are you? Like a goremonger? Like, where you really want to know this stuff? It's not, you know, it feeds some people, but to me, it's, uh hasn't worked out all that well for me. So I'm not going to burden you with that stuff. And especially, and that's with people you barely know, right? So do you really want to do that to your spouse? There's that whole kind of thing you you fight in your head right so no need to fight i want in oh i know that (laughs) (laughs) but uh while you're doing it right going through it at what point did both of you kind of realize that um everything at work was coming home and things were starting to be different and it was getting too much this wasn't just a norm um as, as somebody who's been working with first responders for many years, I am kind of embarrassed to say, but I think I was looking towards everybody else that I wasn't looking in on my own family and my own spouse. And so I probably missed a lot of the, the warning signs. Like I could tell something was off, but you know, this was my guy, like I know him and uh, you know, we're okay. This is our norm. I was normalizing. That's what ended up happening. You know, the, as people were very, very resilient, as couples were very, very resilient. And so even when things were off, I would, we would normalize them, you know, and we would adapt quickly and, and we would carry forward. Now, does that always mean we're doing it in a healthy way or we're maintaining healthy practices? No. And that's where that hindsight is 2020, right? So, um, for me, it really was like, we were 2000, we fast forward now from 2005 to 2016. And there was a whole lot of shit in between. And sorry, are we allowed to say shit, Jim? You can say worse words. Okay. okay. Cause we said it already a few times. So all, all we're I assuming everything's is, okay. All I have to do is press a button and we're good. Okay. <laughs> like the beep button. No, 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 no. It's just a little tag. When I post this, it says explicit. There you oh, go. Okay, good. So, um, <laughs> So like I said, uh, you know, fast forward between 2005 and 2016, we normalized a lot. We went through a lot, a lot of fights, a lot of good times, a lot of everything, a lot of life. Uh, Had two kids, moved houses, moved stations, all kinds of things. Um, But 2016 was a different year. Uh, Things reached a different level. Mm -hmm. Um, Vincent, uh, it was after Thanksgiving, responded to a very difficult call. Um, and had normalized again how he was dealing with it. So he went quiet. I was public enemy number one. I did what I did, which was grab the kids, take them to a dance competition. Vince, meet me there when you're ready, you know, sort of thing. And went about our same routine. Um, and it was strange because when he met us there later in the day, uh, you could tell he was rattled. And I found that very, very strange because he's not a guy that rattles very easily. And um he started to describe that his drive down to the competition was different. He was startling. He was being startled by the cars as they drove by, which is not his usual way. Um, And even leading up to that day, 
there was a couple of days where he went from zero to a hundred, um, you know, for things that would normally go, maybe take you to zero to 20 and instantaneous, instantaneous, like just Just pop. Yeah. Yeah. Like just to rage. Right. And, uh, and I have a low threshold for that. So again, just leave him alone is what I did. Right. That was my response to that. My, my uh, coping is I just, you know, start doing work around the house and uh, absorb myself in that and just kind of going on my own. And of course, what happens, you work on your own. I'm sure you do it. You have this dialogue that, that you start speaking to yourself saying, okay, and you start replaying everything. And it's just a over, you know, loop going over and over and over again. And, and things just got yeah. really bad, really fast. Um, yeah. The disconnection was already there. Um, so this only caused a wider gap between the two of us and zero tolerance for me. Um, and I reached out to family. They told me just to leave him alone, not to provoke him, um, which just felt wrong to me because I didn't feel like I was provoking. I felt like there was something wrong and that we needed to talk about it or get it addressed. Um, <clears throat> just things were bad. And, and I felt very hopeless and helpless and very angry because I didn't understand why I was being treated the way I was and what was going on because this wasn't the person that I, you know, knew that I was with, but at the same time, I couldn't stay in this situation. Um, so we went on like this for about two, three weeks and completely escalating. It was just getting worse and worse and worse to the point where just to avoid getting worse, a fight getting worse, we would start leaving at two, three in the morning and go s- driving on our own, like just to avoid each other. And um, at one point the, the fight got really bad. He left, he came back. And I basically said to him, I said, this isn't healthy. You know, this isn't good for the kids. I said, I'm gonna, I, this isn't any lack of love for you. Like I absolutely adore you, but I've just learned that I can love you from afar if I need to. And um, I know that you would want me to do what's best for the children. And I think the situation's no longer okay for the children. So um, unless you tell me what's going on, what's wrong with you, what's how I can help you, I think we need to leave. Me and the kids are gonna go for a bit until you figure things out. And he had just come back, um, like I said, from a two o'clock in the morning drive. And he was at the front door when I talked to him and he fell to his knees and crumbled to the floor and broke down crying and just, um, telling me about what was happening to him, describing the flashbacks, describing the hyperarousal, the startling, the nightmares, the smells. Um, and the strangest thing happened in that moment, Jim, was it was a sense of relief for me because it was um, being with him, holding him, supporting him, but a, a wash of relief that I knew my marriage wasn't over because this I could fix, this I could work with, this there was something we could do about, we could do something about. I, I just, I felt so much relief that my marriage wasn't over. I wasn't gonna have to leave, the kids wasn't gonna have to go anywhere and that we could continue. And I know that that sounds really strange in the moment, but the other thing that popped in my head was how many families made it to this moment and didn't have that feeling? How many spouses didn't even get to that point? How many broken families do we have? How many um, 
people have we lost? How many uh, spouses actually go and feel a sense of relief? No, they wouldn't. They would be panicking. And so that's where it became very clear to me that, that this is our mission now, is that no family, no spouse goes through this alone or thinks that they're alone because there is help. There are people that can support. Um, that's, that's what we do now. And yeah. um, because I realized that that relief was a very strange phenomena and happened because I knew what I knew, but I know that most people don't know what I know. And so now I want to make sure that people do. And, and that's what we're doing is sharing. And for what I've figured out, I mean, it's, um, you know, had a call. Um, basically, it was a call. It was a still call, as you know, like a quiet alarm call. Basically, you know, went to work that morning and, um, you know, doing the truck check. I was just driving that day. It was my turn to drive, whatever. And we got this thing where, uh, you know, chief called us directly on the line and says, we need to go to the coroner's office because you got to do an extrication. And we're like, extrication? What are you talking about? The night before in, uh, in Brampton, there was um, a head-on collision that involved uh, four people that were burned alive. And our station was situated closest to the coroner's office in Toronto. So we got called to do the extrication along with another truck. So we drove there and it was cold day. You know, I could tell you detail upon detail, however it was. Um, but it was like a weird sense of, okay, well, there's no adrenaline. There's no um, urgency to get there. It's, there was no factors that would normally kind of be protective in our way. Cause you know, you get, cushion. You, there was no cushioning. Yeah. You know, when you get the call and the tones go off, your heart's going, you're like, okay, what do we have? What are we doing? Your, your head starts preparing. Okay. This is what we got to do. This is what we have to how to prepare. So I'm driving there. We're all, and the, and the thing, uh, to be honest, the thing that came into my mind, quote unquote, was, oh my God, this is going to be the, the hor most horrible shit we're going to see. Cause who, who knows what we're going to see. And that's what was going on in my head. And uh, it was just a dead, silence of uncertainty and uncomfort driving there we get there and you know you were greeted by security and there's like these big doors and the whole thing and we're like still not knowing what to do and they're like okay get all the gear out to extricate okay so we set up all the gear with another truck and the whole thing and up goes the bay doors and you know you have all the police in the corners and everybody and taking photos and we see these two vehicles right and thinking okay now what and there's these big blue tarps over the vehicles and there's a smell of you know, burn and I don't know what else I can say is a specific smell. I'm sure you, you're quite familiar with it, you know, uh, and burnt flesh and everything else. And, and up goes the tarps and you're, and you, you just like your eyeballs bulge out of your head because you're seeing in one, you see three people, two in the front seat, one in the back, unrecognizable. Like best thing I can describe it is like burnt styrofoam along with, everything else, you know, all the colors, all the liquids and everything else. I don't want to be graphic, but um, so, you know, um, it, was, it was just a tragedy, really. It was just horrible. And uh, and then we went to the other bay, saw a single person and the whole thing. We're like, okay, we got to get cut these people out. Like, okay, how are we going to do this? Because they're basically part of the vehicle, you know, and, you know, plan of action gets suited up you know, in the, in the hazard suits and everything else and the PPE and all that. And we, we do the protocol and took a couple hours to do. And, you know, and you're looking at these people and it's just the way they're positioned and the way they are. We it didn't make sense. It was just a, a whirlwind of emotion. And we're just kind of looking at each other and we're doing our thing and noises and sounds and smells. And 
get back to the hall and then we're just like, uh, holy shit. That was the, my captain's like, that's the worst shit I've seen in 30 years. Like I've never seen anything like that before. Another guy, he kind of got hurt lifting a, a body out because the body kind of came apart and, you know, kind of, he, he held them together, put them down, but he hurt his back. And then we were just, you know, just in awe. And then um, the rest of the, the rest of the time there, we're just kind of doing our thing. Right. And then a couple of days pass uh, and I'm relieving at another, another station and I just didn't feel right. Something was up. Didn't know what it was. I wasn't myself. I was kind of like, okay, call up a friend of mine who's uh, on the AP team. And I'm like, look, you know what? Um, I got to talk to you about something. I was at this call. He goes, were you at that call? I said, yeah. He says, holy, you know, holy crap. That was a, that was a bad one. I said, yeah. I said, he goes, what's going on? I said, well, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. There's something up, but I don't know. And he's like, okay. And he started, you know, asking me some different questions. And I said, look, I, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I don't need anything really. I just want to, you know, get some feedback. You know, I want to know um, whatever it is. Right. And um, he's like, okay, keep it monitored. So the next day, you know, I went back again, relieving the next day, same thing, same kind of feeling didn't go away. And he goes, he goes, I think you, you might want you to talk to somebody. And then it just kind of bloomed. Right. Cause then, you know, trying to make sense of everything in my head. And then I, I guess I kind of made a, a, another mistake where I, what I saw wasn't making sense. So I wanted to see what they look like as, as, people i guess they were still people but to me in my head i couldn't figure it out right and then i saw what they looked like and i guess that was it and then you know the whole you know sage and the kids went to that dance competition the whole thing and i you know uh met them afterwards and again driving down the highway like she said and every car that was passing i was jumping i was gripping the steering wheel i was like what the hell's going on with me right and then um when i arrived i believe i arrived around um I think it was seven o'clock by the time I went into the, to meet them it was seven 30. I didn't know what happened from seven o'clock to seven 30. I was just sitting there. Right. So, um, yeah, um, wasn't good. And then the night, you know, the sage spoke about, um, four o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, I, I left, went to a park. By then, you know, the imagery was constantly coming into my head. Couldn't, couldn't turn it off. Sound, smells, everything was just constant. It was like a whirlwind. I couldn't shut it off. Did, I closed my eyes. I saw it. I, you know, I, I did something else. I saw it. It was just nonstop to a point. Where, and then now I, I have a tinnitus because of it. My, like I hear two tones in my ears all the time. Got that checked. It's total PTS related. Um, and that night I was, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't do it anymore. So I was in a park and um, backed my car up. As far as I can go, I looked at a, uh, a pole in the middle of the park, cement base. And I said, you know what? I got to shut this off. I can't do this anymore. And then next thing I know, I'm, I'm turning the key in my house. I don't know what happened from that point till I saw her. So it's just brutal, right? After dealing with this for a few weeks, it's like you both at the same time just came to that conclusion that this something has to change we have to figure this out mm -hmm. yeah, it, all, it, was it all came crisis. to a head at once yeah it did for sure yeah and and the sad part of it i think the worst part of it 
was that we were completely alone because friends and family didn't get it. Um, they, they didn't understand it. They, you know, um, I think it was new. It, it was, was, it was heard, you know, they understand that the kind of things happen and things, things happen and exist, but unless it's kind of directly happens to them or they know of it's, it's fairly new. They don't know what to do about it, I guess. Yeah. And I would say, you know, the people that I'm most thankful for uh, was the association uh, in terms of offering us guidance and, and being there to answer questions. Um, but the department was nowhere to be found, really, yeah. out along this journey um, as a support to even yeah. to even show us anything that any sort of care. Um, yeah. Like, as, at least when we got Vincent, uh, we're uh, some care and support that he needed to to deal with the PTS part. Um, not one person called us to to find out if me and the kids were okay, and that's something I said to Vincent that we need to change. We need to make sure that the families are are supported and stronger so that they can show up for the members and be there. Because when his this wasn't a short journey in terms of healing, it's taken us years, and I need to be. Um, taken care of in order to be able to take care and provide an environment that's good for him too and for the kids so yeah it's uh really really important like i said the association members uh our friends in the association the iaff yeah. were honestly our best friends through this yeah. and so yeah. i'd like to to say that to all the brothers and sisters out there that were there thank you thank you sure. um but our our call to the other members in this community is that you are not alone. No. There are people that do understand and uh, that are continuing to support others that are going through this journey as well. One of the things that Vincent mentioned that I wanted to, to bring attention to, because it really brought some clarity as you were talking about it, mm -hmm. was what made this call different was that it was a quiet call. So you're physiologically, neurologically, not getting the same buffers or protective factors that you would when you're responding to an alarm call, like that adrenaline pumping, um, you know, the ability to be able to uh, respond in the same way. You're you're actually very cognizant and and aware of everything that you're thinking, mm -hmm. smelling, watching, remembering. So it does process differently than if you were to be in a heightened call. So that, that's something for us to look into deeper as well. But the other part is, is that whether it's a quiet call or a heightened call, it's really important for people to recognize, to recognize that the stress responses, the hyperarousal, the um, nightmares, flashbacks, things like that, are all acute stress responses. They are normal. That is your body and your brain processing. And it's completely normal for the first couple of weeks for any one of us to be going through that. So what happens is because we're so afraid of labels, because we're so afraid of stigma, mm -hmm. we won't necessarily acknowledge that we're going through it or ask for help. But the key is, is if we can, as a community, as a department, as professionals be there to support you through the first two weeks, we can really, you're again, you're very resilient. So you will process um, healthier and faster and get through that. It's when we don't address those responses 
And when they last longer than they should, that's where they become now symptoms. And that's where they become harder to deal with. And then we're looking at post-traumatic stress injuries, post-traumatic stress disorders, things like that. So it's really, really key that when you do have a call that's harder for you to deal with, or you feel like you've had um, a, a worse exposure than you're able to handle, if you're experiencing any of these things, sleep disturbances, things like that, please reach out to someone, talk to someone, help your brain, your body to process what it's going through, because chances are you will come through it on the other end perfectly fine. Um, Vince and I talk a lot about post-traumatic growth. So not all post-traumatic stress is bad mm -hmm. because a lot of it can lead to growth, which is where we feel we are today. Yeah. And we're, eight, we're seeing these telltale signs, the more and more um, we move beyond where we were in 2016. Like we had a really hard spot just a couple of months ago with the whole COVID situation and being in mm -hmm. close quarters. And uh, we went through something that was pretty tough and something that probably could have made or break us that could have taken months to get over. And Jim, we got through it in less than 36 hours, like from bottom to top, like right to from problem to solution and seamlessly. And we did it really well. Mm -hmm. So it's not about avoiding fights. It's not about, you know, uh, being perfect. It's about learning the skills, how to fight well, how to have some certain strategies in place, how to communicate better. Be aware. Self-awareness. Yeah. You know, I said to everybody, I, I've never been so self-aware in my life. I'm sick of it, but I, it's helping me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, uh, self-awareness. Yeah. How am I today? What am I saying? How am I saying it? Who's going to receive this? Blah, 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 blah. And it's, you know, that, it, it, you know what? My, someone said this to me yesterday about the whole blah, blah, blah. You know, this Charlie Brown teacher, blah, 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 blah. That's constantly going on in here. So it's like, okay. Uh, Find my zen, find my thing, you know, say it this way, do it this way. You know, it's it's helping, but it's sickening in another way, right? No, it, it's funny because I'm thinking I worked Christmas Eve. Yeah. And so I come home, I didn't have a great night, which is typical, but I come home, I'm grumpy, I'm tired. Of course, you know, Christmas morning, you know, the kids opening the presents and everything. And I found myself in my head going, Don't be a dick, stop being a dick. Like <laughs> Welcome I, to my world. There yes, you go. <laughs> I have, we share it, like, get through all this stuff and be good. And then you can take a nap and you'll be normal afterwards. So, yes. But that, you know what, though? It's okay to be a dick once in a while. It is. I was a bit of a dick a couple of days ago. <laughs> but here's the thing. We now have language oh, and our kids are, are primed for yeah. uh, what our lifestyle is like. Like, so now imagine back then they were five and six. Yep. How do you explain all this to a five and six-year-old? Well, what we did was create almost like a scaling system, you know, like zero to 10. And when daddy was uh, an eight, daddy had to make sure he didn't get to a nine or 10 anymore. So it's up to dad to do what he needs to do, whether it's to go out, go for a walk, work out whatever strategies he had in place. But what it did was it gave dad a language to be able to say, kids, I'm at a seven or eight, and they would know then to, to back up or give him a cuddle, whatever they would ask him, daddy, what do you need right now? 
And it, it made them part of the solution. It made them feel like they belonged. And so it wasn't this div like divisive factor in our mm -hmm. home. And in fact, our kids, like my little guy would come up and say, I'm at a six right now, you know, and, and it became <laughs> a language for us to know when people are okay and not. And it's not just about Vincent. It's how we all sort of communicate. Like when we're overwhelmed, now we have a way to tell each other without it being becoming a big problem or big discussion. Like Vincent knew that if he's at an eight, no matter where we were, whether it was at a restaurant, at my parents' table, at, um, you know, a party, if he's at an eight, he's got carte blanche to go do what he needs to do. Because the last thing we want is a nine or 10, because then that's going to cause more issue. So he didn't have to explain to me that, look, I got to go or I got to do this because we're not making this a big deal, right? It's just, hey, if you're at an eight, just, you know, if you're stepping out, just let me know and away you go. Don't give me a big explanation about it. Don't have to get into it. Just mm. go do what you need to do. Get some air, get a reset, yeah. come back. And that's the point. Like we don't want our, our mem uh, members to feel like there's something wrong. So what we do is put these strategies in place that just allow them to be themselves and do what they need to do because you do deal with things differently than the general public. It just, it has to be because it's part of the nature of the job. Try to do things in a healthy way, right? Not just, um, not a kind of quick fix or whatever. You just kind of. These are lifestyle changes. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. To allow you to do what you got to do. But you know, I, I can say, in all honesty, my family saved my life. You know, like um, I owe them everything. I owe, my, I owe Sage all everything. I owe my kids everything. You know, uh, I was in the darkest place I've ever been in my life. And you know what? They, they still show up the dark times. You know what I mean? They still, you know, the nightmares are still there. I mean, I just learned how to deal with them. You know what I mean? Um, had one last night, right? I just told you about it. But, um, you know, it, you deal. And you have the support in place. Um, if not, you know, you got to get one. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I thank God for everything for them. I do. That's yeah. awesome. If I, if I didn't have them, I wouldn't have been here today. I'll be honest. That's how bad things got. So I shared our story on a TEDx talk uh, a few years back. So that's available for members if they want to know more about having heroic conversations and it's heroic stands for an acronym for how to communicate in the home uh, with your person. So um, that Ted talk is a, a resource to your listeners if they're interested. And um, you know, it was that Ted talk that really made a difference for me too, because there were a couple of chiefs in the, in the audience and when they came up to me and said that, man, you really get this, like you really get it it really set us on a trajectory as to, to again, how we're going to serve mm -hmm. the community. So, you know, we do, we do, um, we do trainings, we offer programs, we um, do the one-on-one -on -one counseling, the coaching, yep. we do um, the public speaking uh, conferences, things like that as well. So, um, what I what I think is really unique, though, is that not only is it the personal perspective, the personal story, but it's embedded with those strategies and solutions, those evidence-based research-backed protocols and things that can help. 
right? Mm. So I think that's what's making the difference. It's what made the difference for you. Yeah. I mean, you didn't talk um, about, you know, you you actually did the positive psychology program. I did. I um, developed uh, Canada's first positive psychology program here at a university. And while Vincent was in treatment at a PTSR program, a lot of it didn't make sense to him. He was coming back very frustrated on the weekends. Um, so I asked him if he had the bandwidth to take this program, the one that I developed. And so he did. Um, and he said, actually, oh, you say it. No, it was, you know, it was good because it made um, everything kind of made sense. You know, it was really, really good. Uh, went through everything and got the certification. Thank you, Sachel. It was a great program. Uh, amazing, amazing program. Um, no, but how did it help connect the, the stuff that you were going through in terms of the recovery program with understanding what was happening to you and how you could modify or do things? Well, it shed a lot of light on things, right? It, it helped, um, you know, made sense. You know, this is happening. This is, you know, it gave you the understanding of, of what happens physiologically to yourself and your brain. It, you know, it, it's, it's a whole kind of, gambit of things right and um so it it made made things a lot more easier to understand and to dissect and to say you know what okay this is this is what's happened this is these are the strategies that you, you can use to get better um and uh it did it was just everything kind of came made sense I think it gave him a sense of control back yeah. into his life that if this doesn't work for me, I can modify it. I can do it this way. And so it is something that I would like to do more often. Yeah. Because if, 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 if a, a professional gives you a strategy that doesn't fit well or doesn't seem natural to you, you're not going to sustain it long term. The idea is that you want as much knowledge and information so that you have an understanding as to why things work so that you can modify it in ways that are going to be comfortable and good for you yeah. and that you'll be able to do over the long term, and it becomes easy. Right. And I've, sorry, I've shared the knowledge with, with like, I, since I've been back, we've had a lot of like new people on the job, like rookies and the whole thing. And uh, I remember uh, during my transition back, um, I went to a specific hall and I can tell you the collective, besides the captains and acting captains, the collective amount of experience was maybe maximum of three to five years. So they were fairly new and I, you know, they were kind of wondering what I was doing there. They heard of me, they heard of kind of what happened, but they didn't know. And I just came back and I was an open book. I said, guys, give me about 10 minutes of your time. And they didn't, I didn't know them. They didn't know me. And I said, look, I said, you know what? I'm not coming back as, you know, a Messiah or whatever is coming back saying, you know, the enlightened one. But I said, look, I want to just tell you a little quick, you know, clear up any, any kind of fog that, you know, may, you may have heard. And I gave him a brief thing of what happened. And I said, look, I made my way back here. And I said, this is what I need you to do as a rookie. I said, look, I don't want this to happen to you because after a certain time, when, you know, when this, when that point of no return comes, when your cup with a drop of water, keep filling and it overflows, it's too late. I said, do me a favor. I said, I know you don't, you don't owe me anything, but as one brother to another or sister or whomever, you know, I said, look, get someone psychologist, psychotherapist, social worker, whoever you need, a, a support system in place now, interview them now, find a rapport, build a rapport. And I said, once a tour, wherever, how long your tour is, which is, you know, once a month before the tour, I don't know how you guys are in the States, we're on 24. So it repeats once a month. Even if you, you're at the quietest hall and you've scrubbed toilets for seven or eight days or whatever your shift is, 
go and talk to that person, <clears throat> excuse me, and just say, look, this is what I'm feeling. This is how I'm feeling. This is what I've seen. This is what I've done. This is what I've not done. And they'll give you strategies or they'll help you process the things that you need processed. That way, this doesn't happen to them. So I was just like, that's all I needed to do. You know, I just wanted to say that, guys, look, you know what? Take it as take it as you want. Tell me to go jump if you want. I, You know, it's fine. Whatever, which way you want to receive this and take it or take it home with you. But just do yourself that justice. For me, even if you don't know me as a human being, just do it. And they mostly do it for you. And I left. So then after, you know, I'm, I'm same shift going to going about my business. And one of the guys came up to me, the rookie, rookie came up to me and says, look, man, he says, thanks so much. I said, well, what do you mean? He says, you know, after you told us this, the got a couple of guys that we went down in the, in the in the bay and we were talking and shooting the shit or whatever. And he says, you know, that guy's right. He says, he makes sense. And they all got somebody. And till this day, they come up to me and says, look, man, you know what? Thank you so much. And it's been a year and I've been back over a year now. And they're like, look, we have someone. We talk to them once a month or, or you know, once a month or whatever. And it helps because, you know what? We're good. And I was like, there's a win. And I told Sage all this. I said, say, I, I just kind of tears in my eyes. I said, shit, yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, this is good. This is what we got to do more of, you know? And, and you know, the whole archaic thinking of, you know, oh, macho guys and let's, you know, get in there. And that's bullshit. It's 100% crap. And you know it as well as I do. The, the problem is the older guys, you know, and the older people on the job or more senior, it's hard for them to change a mentality because it was embedded when they were young. But, you know, they're starting to change and see the thing. The mid guys like me are, are in that mode where it's like, okay, yeah, this is, has to be done. And the younger guys and girls that are on the job now are like, okay, this is kind of a norm. It's a new norm. So it's, you know, it's in progress. It's just, you know, we're far from solving the solution. But it's, it's stuff like this that, you know, what Sejal's dedicated her life to, what I'm dedicating my life to now as, um, you know, an advocate as well uh, for what we have to do here is I, 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 we don't want what we went through, what I went through, my children went through to affect anybody. Because you know what? It can be a great job. Okay, there you go. It can be a great job. It can, it can be, be a great, great life. job. Yes. You know? No, but what I was saying is it could be a disaster if you don't deal with it, right? So you have to deal with it. And yeah, then you have the success stories. You know, I'm a work in progress, Vincent 2.0. That's what I say to everybody. I'm not perfect. You know what? I'm I'm Vincent 2.0. That's it. That's Take funny. it or leave it. You, you know I, what I mean? <laughs> but it's it's I'm a work in progress. I'm, I'm not sure. solved, I'm not fixed, but hey. We're I good. tell the guys at work, I think I'm up to to Jim version 467.8. <laughs> uh, give yourself some credit. Come on. You know, and to your point, Vincent, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, in terms of, there was a resource that I wrote for the Ailita journal, uh, for law enforcement journal called Think of Me as Your PPE. It's a little cheeky uh, tone uh, title, basically. You know, think of me as your psychological protective expert. It's not about therapy all the time. It's not always about fixing something or finding solutions. Sometimes it's just about having the right person to listen, yeah. the right person to offload that steam, um, a safe place, you know, to say whatever you want, however you want to be able to say it. Um, you know, think about yourself, like if you were trying to get physically fit and you were trying to get strong in a certain area and you didn't know how, what would you do? You'd go and hire a trainer, right? If you have a leaky roof, are you going to 
take the risks and things? Or are you going to call an expert and let them take care of your roof? Who's got the right equipment, the right materials and the right know-how? Well, that's what psychological protective experts are like me as well, the therapists, right? We are there, we have the education, we have the experience, we have the tools, we have techniques. That's what we're there to, for to share. I don't wanna see people when they're in crisis. I really don't, I'd prefer not to. I would love to see you that if you know you're going into a profession that's high stress, high exposure, high risk, that you're gonna be seeing me so I can help you build those protective layers, build your mind armor, that's the point. Because if you can get those things in place ahead of time, you can use your relationships to be that protective uh, factor, to be that buffer. Mm -hmm. You can use, um, you know, your physical activity. You will understand how those things that you are already doing are helping you and how to do them more and integrate them stronger so that they make you stronger and more resilient, right? It's not just about resilience and bouncing back. We want you to grow from it. Like I said, post-traumatic growth, because the trauma is inevitable. It's just about how are you going to process it? Right. Are you going to process it well, or are you going to process it really well? Nice. Nicely said. I just, and to sum it up, I love the fact that, well, not that I love that you went through hell, but I, I'm glad you went through hell and you came out on the other side and then you you're paying it all forward. I mean, you're making this a mission now to, mm -hmm. to try to prevent others going through the same situation you end up doing. So, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's powerful. I, and I can't thank you enough for sharing it with all of our, our listeners. Sorry if it was a little bit graphic. It's just, it's, it's, it's what I went through and, you know, hopefully it wasn't too much for people, you know, just when you, you know, when you get into those, recollection things going on you know it's just a, it's hard to kind of um censor it i guess right but anyway <laughs> no i mean just the fact that you're able to to share that i mean again I, I said powerful i mean that what you really share the details yes they're grotesque but it 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 does show everything you went through and but it also shows that you were able to get through that yes yeah yeah. No, that's... a hell of a high uh, uphill battle, but <laughs> I think uh, personally, and and this uh, is not the bias me, but I think he's the best version of himself that he's ever been, at least since I've known him, and I've probably got a better husband than I ever thought I could be with. Like I, I loved him before. There was no question. I adored him before too, but I adore him more and more each day because, you know, he just gets better and better. And um, he's exactly, I think, the human being that I've always seen and, um, and could ever hope for. Thank you. So, yeah, I just, I'm thrilled. And I, I think you're 100% right, Jim. I don't, I don't regret anything we've went through. I believe there's a purpose and meaning behind all of it. I think that it's, it's put us on the trajectory that we're on. And I can't tell you the number of calls or letters that we've received since about the difference that, you know, every time that we do speak, um, the TEDx talk gets viewed, um, the cause for pause talks gets viewed. like the feedback we're getting is phenomenal. Um, and, and there's, I'm, I'm sure there's tons of stories we don't even hear about. So you guys are, I mean, you're breaking down the wall. 
that stigma that was there when you started and when I started mm-hmm. is slowly coming down and it's because of people like people like you. Well, all of us, Jim, all of us. And yeah. and working together and collaborating collaborating like this is is what's going to make that difference for our next folks in line. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also glad that you like Vincent 2.0. Wait till you see Vincent uh, 468 points. Uh, I'm, be, I'm being biased. This is Vincent. Lord, Lord knows how many, but I'm just putting it as 2.0 just because. Sounds good. <laughs> this is probably version 5,000, but it's okay. 2.0, I'll keep for now. Whatever it is, I like it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Nice. Well, you guys are up for doing a little bit of hopefully fun here. We can try to do some of these 25 questions. Not all 25. Who has time for that? But, uh, if you're okay with this, we'll, we'll run Go through some it. of these. Go for it. Who would like to pick a number? Mm, 10. Favorite comedian? Oh my God. Uh, well, I know Sage was, and then we're going to, we're, we're going to, we're going to agree on this one. Robin Williams. 100%. God bless. Yeah. That's a good Robin one. Williams. Privileged to know Zach Williams on Facebook. So I'm so happy to be able to do that call out for his dad. He's our hero. Yep. Nice. Do you guys ever very, get to see talented. him live? No, he's passed. I know, but did you get to see him beforehand? Oh, I did I get to? No. Oh. I, I always night always night, night at the Met rocked though. That was one of his oh my god. I got to see him in Columbus a couple years before he passed and uh he was so manic he was just all over the place but it was yeah. all hilarious it's talent yeah. just raw beautiful man he was a beautiful talent. man yeah wow yes wow. that was a good answer i like that how about uh how about another one sage you got one go ahead uh another comedian no 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 another oh, number. A question number number two see i saved that one for it because i knew she that's the one she wanted that's this is a this is a good one this will be interesting toilet paper is it uh, over <laughs> or under? To the front or to the back? Ah, oh, interesting. I are you prefer... pulling it down or are you pulling it from beneath? No, I like over. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to have you talk to my wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Under, like it just keeps going and going. It's a waste. You know, there's more control when it's over. Okay, we're talking about toilet paper, people. <laughs> We're good. We're good. Good question. <laughs> Next number. <laughs> oh yeah, pick another number. Hey, I'm, yeah, uh, we're not, we're not going to argue. You, you picked the right side, so we're good. All right, all right. Uh, one to twenty-five, right? Yes. Let's, let's do twenty-five. Favorite professional sports team? Uh, I'm a big soccer fan. I love Italy, so Italy's national team. I know uh, you well <laughs> for World Cup. How's that? Italy. All right, that's good. Geez, yep. we know each other really well. You have a, you have a favorite team? No, I don't. Okay. I'm good. <laughs> I could say Serie A, Juventus. A lot, you know, I love Buffon. I love Pirlo, but we're gonna go for the big, big overall I, Italy. I, I'm I'm one of those naive people in high school. Um, we we oh, just uh, just in high school. Just, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, um, but you know, the, the Super Bowl was on and the 49ers were playing and I was like, you know, trying to be with the hype with everybody, like who go 49ers. And one of the guys comes up to me, goes, 
you don't even say it right. It's the 69ers. So I was like, oh, okay. And so then I go down the hall, yeah, 69ers, you know? <laughs> and I just couldn't figure out why everybody was laughing. Ha ha, ha ha ha. It's pretty good. Yeah. All right, you want to pick one more? Sure, let's go 22. Favorite place for vacation? Oh, anywhere on the ocean. Anywhere on the ocean. I love the ocean. I love the beach. I love the sun. So I don't care where in the world you put me, put me there. Okay. That sounds good. I can't argue that either. Yeah. See, we got a lot in common. <laughs> Lots of sun. Long as there's sun. Yes. I'm a sun baby. Lovely, lovely January weather, right? Yeah. We're dealing yeah. with. Yeah. Okay. Well, how about this? How, uh, somebody wanted to get contact with you, reach out and, you know, how would they go about doing that? Uh, you can find us at mindarmor.ca. That's M-I-N-D-A-R-M-O-U-R.ca or sagelbellon.com, S-A-J-E-L-B-E-L-L-O-N.com or SOS Psychotherapy, S-O-S Psychotherapy.ca. Uh, we would love to hear from you. There's a contact page on the Sagel Bellin website. Um, you can get hold of myself or Vincent through there because mm -hmm. um, we answer all the emails and everything personally. So definitely if there's anyone out there that wants to get in contact, please do. You can also Google uh, Sagel Bellin and you'll get a list of our um, videos, uh, things that we've done, articles, interviews, you know, just spreading the word, help us share uh, some of the strategies, some of the things that we're getting out there. Um, the digital space is a big one. And that's been our biggest obstacle is to learn how to um, get more information out there. So if anyone has ideas or support that they can offer, we would be very open to listening as well. That's awesome. And don't bother looking for them on MySpace. I already figured out before we started <laughs> that they never had it. Yeah. They no. missed out. Just do the Google thing. You'll see yeah. us. You can yeah. find me. I guess uh, you have your profile on Facebook too. So Vincent Bellin and um, yeah. Sagel Bellin as well. So you can find us on Do you on do Facebook the Twitter too. thing too? I do do Twitter, but I'm not very good at it. Like I said, the media places, the digital space has been a, a challenge. So mm -hmm. yeah, if there's, again, any supporters out there that would like to help us, we're always open to, to conversation. Perfect. All right. Well, I can't thank you guys enough. I really do appreciate uh, sharing your story just really with everybody all, all for the better good. Thanks thank very you, much. Jim. For Thanks us. for the opportunity. Appreciate it. All right. You guys have a good one. <laughs>